Hello, everybody. This is Marshall Poe. I'm the editor of the New Books Network. NBN listeners like to read books and buy them. So we thought we'd tell you that right now, our friends at Princeton University Press are having a remarkable site-wide sale. You can get 50% off books, including ebooks and audiobooks, with the code 50, F-I-F-T-Y, at checkout until May 31. You can save some real money on Princeton University Press books. I encourage you to go there and check it out. Welcome to New Books and Poetry. I am your host, Jen Fitzgerald. Not all poetry collections feature poems. Some are craft books, some hybridize genres, and some tap into the living stream of poetic thought as this new collection does. Mariah Dessa Akiri Talley is the author of Dear Continuum, Letters to a Poet Crafting Liberation, Grand Concourse Press 2015, and Karma's Footsteps, Flipped Eye 2011. She is the poetry editor of the literary magazine African Voices. Her poetry has been the subject of a short film, I Leave My Colors Everywhere, and it has been published in Bomb, Crab Orchard Review, North American Review, Women's Studies Quarterly, Black Renaissance Noir, and most recently on the blogs 90s Meg Ryan and The The Infoxicated Corner. Welcome, Mariah Dessa. Thank you so much, Jen. So before we talk about the collection, we'd like to get to know a little bit about you. Where were you born and raised? Oh, I'm from Queens, New York. (laughs) Do you have any siblings? I do. They're both much older. I have um, a sibling who is a man. (laughs) He's my brother, uh, John. He's like, how old is he? Something like 14 years older than me. And I have a sister, Melody, who's about 12 years older than me. So I spent kind of a lot of time feeling like the baby and the only because they were kind of big by the time I started, you know, forming and thinking and all that. Mm-hmm. And are you still in Queens now? Yep. Mm-hmm. <laughs> I'm going all over the place. I've lived in Namibia. I've lived in Holland. I've lived in Belgium. I've lived in California. I've lived in Atlanta. And I always end up coming back to Queens. Go figure. So, out of all the places that you have lived, which one would you want to return to? Mm, probably Georgia, actually. I've been thinking about it quite a bit. <laughs> Believe it or not, that's the place. I, I just recently I visited Savannah a couple of months ago, and it was staggeringly beautiful. Yeah. Mm-hmm. But it's so hot. Oh, I, I don't care. I don't care. It, it would be okay. You know, it, it, oh, the trees were just, I don't, I've never seen any place like that. I have never seen any place like that. And so that's kind of been the top of my, my mind lately, which is funny for me, but I also like land and trees and herbs and being able to grow your own stuff in space. Right. So, mm-hmm. Mm-hmm, so it's a bit in my head. Mm. Well, when you go, I will visit you in the winter. <laughs> yeah, you'll be really happy, too. <laughs> so who was the first poet to um, whose work you connected? Oh, my gosh. You know, I probably, quite frankly, I can't remember who the first poet's work I connected with was. I just liked poetry from the beginning. Mm-hmm. Whatever they gave us in junior high school, in all seriousness, um, whatever they gave us before then, I just liked it. It was this weird thing. 
I didn't really understand some of the stuff that we would read. But what I loved is the work of trying to understand it. Mm-hmm. Right. And so I, I feel like it was something to, 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 to dig into. And I would love the rhythm of things. Right. So, I mean, I remember us doing Romeo and Juliet in <laughs> junior high school and me just loving it. You know, what I mean, <laughs> I just I remember it again. It's rhythm and sound. Um, I just I just really, really dug it. Um, yeah. But, you know, I didn't think that it was something that I could do or something that was for me until later. Mm-hmm. Right. And so later on, when I saw, let's say in, in high school, when I saw um, more writing by Langston Hughes and when I saw writing by Alice Walker, um, then I started to think that writing was something that I, too, could do. Mm-hmm. So those poets and those poems connected with me in a different way. And also that Malcolm X anthology, which I <laughs> You know, it's just a mind-blowing anthology. Um, Broadside Press put out this anthology. I used to go to the County Cullen Library and read these books. And and so that's when my connection with poetry became like, oh, wait a minute, I can do that also, right? Mm -hmm. Um, But before then, I was just in love with this stuff, whether I understood it or not. So, Mm -hmm. Absolutely. mm I understand completely. Um, so let's hear a little bit from the book. Would you mind reading a bit from letter two on page 18? Okay. Okay. So letter two. Here's a story for you. A friend and I were talking about faith and natural healing. We were talking about the plants and prayer and our elders and all the wisdom they had that we needed to tap back into. My friend asked me if I'd ever heard of talking the fire out. I said I hadn't. She went on to explain to me that her mother was able to use words, prayerful, intentional words, to make a person's burn stop stinging. And that was called talking the fire out. Now, this is not fiction. So I said, wow, because what else do you say to something like that? I remembered wishing I had the ability to talk the fire out, too. But now I realize that in a way I do. I realize that many times when I put my pen to paper, it is an attempt to write the fire out. It is an attempt to write the pain, the stinging out of some wound or another. So when I decided to be a writer, when I decided my work would serve this purpose, when my work is not celebrating something, it is bearing witness to the pain and process of healing, which is a celebration of another kind. This is the celebration of resilience, and the writing is, no matter how painful the subject matter, a shout of joy at still being here. Consider that when you create art, you have medicine in your hands. Consider that you can pull people together for just reasons. What is just? I'd say it's that which does not oppress or dismiss the humanity of anyone. What is just is compassionate and of love. I mean real love, which is not always romantic or beautiful. I mean the type of love that wakes up at 4 a.m. to work and provide a better life for a family. The love we saw at marches during the 60s. Real love that does laundry, brushes hair, tills the soil, plants, trees, chains itself to pipelines. 
hard love, difficult conversations, and our willingness to sit down at the table to have them. Our writing can be all of that, the conversation, the table, and the willingness. And when I talk about art and activism, I'm talking about love. And so even with all your pointed questions about editing, knowing when a poem is done, and what to do to become a better writer, I ask you to remember that the life you live is art. Sit with yourself and ask why you want to be a writer. Determine what purpose you want your words to serve in the world. Thank you very much. Um, I really love what you say here. Um, so much of what I think we're teaching young people about poetry is to keep it out of the body, keep it in the mind, keep it in, you know, some type of realm that can only be accessed by like some, you know, golden academic key. So mm -hmm. <laughs> what you're saying here, it, it really resonates with me, um, mm. especially, you know, determine what purpose you want your words to serve in the world. I mean, are folks still thinking about that? Mm -hmm. Are they being taught that? <laughs> I, I can't say that anybody is being taught that, right? I mean, I... I went through an MFA program, um, which I enjoyed, but I don't think, and it wasn't for poetry, by the way, but I don't think that anyone asked that question. I think most people, when they're going to MFA programs at this point, um, the purpose is to publish work, um, you know, and to be seen and heard and celebrated for that work. And that's that's one way of thinking about writing, isn't it? Um, but the fact that there are all these other ways that we could go about what it is we do, all these other reasons we could do the work that we do, right? Mm -hmm. um, and I feel like that's a discussion that I, I don't I don't know that people are having that discussion. <laughs> you know, I've I've not really seen people engage publicly at a young age in such discussion. But I think people think about it privately. Mm -hmm. um, I know that the young people who I talk to, they have a reason that they want to write. Okay, they, they really do. They are determined to make some sort of changes um, and they hope that they can use their pens to help them. You know, the mm -hmm. idea of Writing to write oneself and then writing to write the world in some way. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. So do you find that the training that you got in your MFA program, is that counter to your process now or are you still, are you still the same poet in many ways? Oh yeah, because my, my program I went through, I went through a fiction program. So okay. that's the first thing to keep in mind. I've never studied poetry mm. formally. Okay, so that's one of the interesting things about about my journey. I've studied it because I have tons of books here and because I've spent a lot of time with poets. Right. I think I took um, I've never taken any series of workshops in poetry. None of that. Um, but nor, was, well, nor did I think that that was the way you became a poet. Right. I was so the way that you became a poet was writing, reading. Reading, 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 <laughs> reading, right? And I don't mean reading poetry as performance. I mean reading books, right? Mm -hmm. And hanging out with other poets. Um, so the my work that I did in my MFA was fiction. And I loved it. I mean, that was actually where I read my first whole James Baldwin book. Mm -hmm. 
was was there um, with Cornelia Nixon, who was my, one of my professors. Um, and I loved that. And then I got to read um, poetry in Spanish, which was very interesting because I'm not fluent in Spanish, but I learned a lot. Like, I, I actually loved my program because I had a lot of flexibility. So I took a lot of courses in things, voices in Hispanic poetry, um, Asian American lit, um, and then I had my workshops. And so actually that was really important for me because it took me particularly into the Spanish speaking writers, right? Mm-hmm. Um, being from New York, you're definitely going to be into the New Yorican poets, right? Uh-huh. So this was diasporic. So suddenly I was, you know, a lot of Chilean, um, Cuban, um, also Puerto Rican and then Brazilian, right? We even went into Brazilian um, literature at some point because I took a class on Latino women writers' um, autobiographies, right? So, I mean, this was not your normal, you could say, MFA, but then again, I don't know what that what that would be, <laughs> you know? So I that was actually really, really critical. You can see, right, that being able to read all these different people of color's work, it, it gave me another canon, in a sense. Yeah. Um, and people who speak Spanish and Portuguese, right? So my canon is quite different. <laughs> yeah, that sounds like a really, um, well, first of all, a really good program to expose you to not just a, a continent, but to kind of divide that continent up and show the, the disparate cultures and how they're in conversation with one another. It's pretty good. Cool. Oh, yeah. Oh yeah, it was amazing, Jen. It was amazing. So I'm I'm really lion leaves, sweat, jump rope, wear stilettos, shout, give birth, watch the phases of the moon, or know that it is appropriate to put flowers in the ocean on New Year's Eve and pour liquor on the earth before anyone living takes a sip. Then supposedly they are not poems. Supposedly you missed the memo on craft, and your poems will be returned to sender. Save your postage. Honor your time. Oof. Yes. Well, I, I can definitely uh, see how that could easily turn into an entire book. <laughs> Not to say that it was easy to create this, but I mean that's that's mm-hmm. the surface, and you have to write the ocean. You're right. Actually, you you're really right. I never thought of it that way. You know, I thought when I wrote that first letter, I was done. <laughs> I was like, I've said seriously. I was like, I said what I needed to say. I, I I don't have to say any more of this now. You know, I really, really felt like that's it. And it's again because of that talk I did that I wrote two more letters. Right. I I don't think I would have written any more letters if it weren't for that talk. So I, I had something that pushed me. But the first letter was just written in a blaze of heat. Mm-hmm. Yeah, don't you hate that when you think that you've like emotionally dealt with something and you know communicated it effectively through your writing, and then you realize like shit, like that. I just I just tapped on the front door, like I didn't even go to the house. Yes, yeah, especially especially difficult stuff. You know what I mean? What's in the What's in this book? It it gets difficult, mm-hmm. right? Like it's difficult in some ways, and it gets more difficult as time went on, right? This book was written over a two, two and a half year span. Like, I think I wrote the last letter. Mm, so funny. One of the last letters, I mean, I think around December, right? Um, I could have never envisioned that I would have to write that letter. 
right? That was a letter that came soon after um, Eric Garner, mm-hmm. right? So, you know, I, I certainly wasn't envisioning that I was going to have to <laughs> write such a letter. And so, right, I, I thought I was dealing with everything that needed to be dealt with. And then this whole, right, like it just felt like everything started exploding or maybe it's that people started taking out their phones and noting the explosions. I don't know. Right. Mm-hmm. And so you're right. It was like, I was dealing with one thing I was dealing with literature and how those of us who um, are activists or see ourselves in the activist tradition, arts and activism, cultural workers, right. Mm-hmm. Those of us who see ourselves as such, um, how we can write and, and, get our work into the world as whatever world that is. And then these things started happening. And it was like, wow, how do, how do I connect writing these events and particularly the pain that young people, now I mean young people, would be feeling seeing these things for the first time. Right. Because a lot a lot of um, younger people were saying that Trayvon Martin, they hadn't experienced something like that before. Yeah. Right. And they want to be artists. And then these things just keep happening practically every week. And so people who have never dealt with this, I don't think I've ever seen this in my own lifetime anyway, just feel under siege in a way. You know, but then you have elders who were here in the 60s, right? They saw assassination after assassination. And so it was just like, well, how do we deal with this? And that ended up having to be in the book, you know? Yeah. Um, It's gotten to the point where I don't turn my television on anymore because it feels like somehow the act of me turning on my television is going to kill another person. It it might kill you. Yeah. Do you see what I'm saying? Like, I, I'm getting to the point where I said I'm going to have to get off of social media for a little while anyway. But that's, you know, I'm going to need to do that. <laughs> I got some other things to concentrate on. Yes, you do. Yes, I do. <laughs> you know, um, but it's, it's at this point, it's overwhelming, right? Mm-hmm. It's absolutely overwhelming. Um, every day, another name is becoming a hashtag on Twitter. Mm-hmm. I've always really respected and somewhat envied the idea of elders within a community, people that you can turn to that are, um, you know, which is a form of mentorship. Um, Mm -hmm. Unfortunately, elders are mostly forged in communities where they're needed. Um, Right. But I think that this book is going to function as an elder, too. Wow, that's that's a huge um, thank you. I, I don't even know what else to say to that, but thank you. Wow. It's here. I mean, it's here. It's part of the community. It's accessible. People can go to it. There'll be information. There'll be truth. You know, that, that, that's how I see it, and it gives me goosebumps. <laughs> so for our final reading, um, please share some of letter 11 on page 41. Okay. Have you read In the Tradition yet? That book was a map to me as I wandered and searched out a place to call home in poetry. In my mind, all the poets in that book were a unit, 
Their academic, economic, and personal backgrounds were as varied as their subject matter. And that, to me, was an accurate reflection of how diverse we are. It was, and is, heartbreaking to see writers drawing lines in the sand and closing doors on each other because this one didn't or did go to college, or that one did or did not get the fellowship, or that one is Northern or Southern, or that one is more of a spoken word artist or isn't. I've always seen poetry as a pure space. Things shift when people start taking their poetry to the market. Suddenly poetry goes from being medicine to currency. Suddenly a poem can gain a person the things, recognition, respect, sex, power, they felt they were lacking. Remember the world of poetry is not the soul of poetry. When poetry becomes a business or an elite club or a bid for integration, it can't help but mirror everyday life in this country. In fact, even without poetry being a business, it reflects the classism, racism, sexism, and heterosexism of the country in which we live. What you are seeing at times is the ugliness of this country in stanza and verse. Your work, our work, is to be aware of these things, but not become embittered by them or get sucked into them. Some of my work has been an attempt to bridge the gaps between the worlds of poets. I've been encouraged in that task by some and told it's a useless endeavor by others. I just know we could create powerful spaces for each other if we'd honor each other's voices instead of trying to drown each other out. Most of our work is to write our visions, write truth, write wholeness into being, and share what we've learned from our journeys. Much of our work is to create space where others feel safe doing the same. Thank you. That was a great one to, to end with. Um, so who are you reading right now? What's, what's uh, reading list number five? <laughs> <laughs> okay. You know what reading list number five is? It's so funny. Birthing from Within by Pamela England. Woo! <laughs> Rush out to the bookstore, kids. <laughs> <laughs> that's, what I'm, that's what I'm reading. I'm rereading right now. Um, that's actually right next to me. Um, um, preparing for giving birth in five, five weeks and a couple of days. Mm-hmm. Um, and... Last night, I'm so excited, I got, and I wanted to talk to you about this. So, so that's critical, what I'm reading, actually, the birthing from within. It really is important for me. Um, you know, for Continuum, I can't say if that will be important or not. We don't know whether Continuum plans to start a family, he or she, you know, we'll, we'll see. Um, but what I got yesterday was a copy of Margaret Walker's On Being, Black, Female, and Free collection of essays. Ooh. Yes. And so it came it came in the mail and I started reading it last night. And shout out to my friend Celie McKinnis in Jackson State University. You know, you rarely get to do that on the great um, you know, poetry podcast, so I feel that I can do that. Um but he and I were having a, a conversation via email about um Margaret Walker. And he was talking to me about the path that she took and how she was married and had children and was active in her church and was busy writing as well um, and was teaching, right? And how she had this very full life. 
And he was saying to me, you know, we were talking about some of the difficulties and sacrifices, which you are full aware of, Mm -hmm. right? When you decide to have a full life, Mm -hmm. right? And be a writer. Mm -hmm. And when you are a woman. And so I've got this book and I would say that this definitely belongs on reading list. Like that would be, there's no way from now on when I teach, I've got to teach this essay. Um, the, the title essay from the book. It's just stunning, right? And I'm like, this this woman was saying the same things all these years ago that I'm saying in these letters. Wow. <laughs> That's the crazy thing. She was saying it, yeah. right? So... That's definitely, that's that's what I'm reading right now. Bursting from within and on being black, female, and free by Margaret Walker. That is a great fifth reading list. Thank you. <laughs> <laughs> so in honor of letter 19, I am now permanently adding the following question to my interviews, which is to whose music are you listening to now? Oh my gosh. <laughs> that's really cool that you're adding that question. Um, what I, I listen to so much stuff, right? Um, I've been listening to a lot of uh, Afro-Cuban music because I, I always do like the folk music, as people would call it, for the Orishas. Mm-hmm. Um, I've listened to a lot of that. Um, I've been listening to Robert Glasper's version of So Beautiful mm-hmm. lately. It's so beautiful. I don't know if you've heard So Beautiful, <laughs> but, you know, Music Soul Child, it was his song. Um, and so I've been listening to that. I've been listening to a lot of Fela because that is just something that lifts me up all the time, right? Mm-hmm. And also it, he has such long songs, I can get a lot of things done, <laughs> you know, within the space of the song. But I feel uplifted by his resistance, right? His beautiful, creative, artistic resistance, um, this complex man, Um so I listen to a lot of Fela. Like I, I know I was listening to Fela yesterday, right? So that's that tends to be that's a lot of my my stuff. And then uh, you know sometimes you also need to to calm yourself. So I listen to some Georgia Ann Muldrow, who's also a, a radical, amazing um, artist who just creates and creates and creates and creates. And so she's got she put out a new album on May nineteenth. And I've just been listening to George Ann Muldrow. And lately, you know what else? A lot of Outkast. <laughs> I love Outkast. And I've been listening to a lot of Outkast lately because they capture all the moods yes. that you could possibly have. So Definitely. that's kind of my heavy rotation list right now. That's a great list. <laughs> it's crazy, but you know, it, it definitely reflects... Um, my sensibilities. And Hector Lavoe, how could I forget? I put a thing up for Hector Lavoe yesterday. I was listening to him nonstop yesterday, too. So, yeah. <laughs> it's on Twitter, right? If you go on Twitter, you'll see, oh, yeah, she really did post Hector Lavoe. <laughs> <laughs> so, what would you do if you couldn't write poetry? Oh, my God. Well, what do you mean? <laughs> like, for the, the energy um, and time that you put into the writing of your poetry, if you weren't a poet, where would you focus that time and energy? Oh, my gosh. Okay. Well, you so thought this was going to be easy and fun? Come on. 
Yeah, I'm like, what do you mean? <laughs> so, so Jen, you mean go all the way back? Don't pretend that something stopped me, like um, like homeboy and more better blues. Don't pretend something stopped me from from writing. Pretend that never was my impetus. That's what you mean, right? Yeah. Well, so what what is that secondary passion that would have come in and taken the space of poetry? Music. But I don't have the discipline to become a musician. <laughs> I always wanted to be a musician, seriously. <laughs> but I don't have the discipline. So maybe farming, okay. to be realistic. Yeah, growing vegetables and fruit and um, stuff like that. Like, I love dancing. That's something else I love. Um, but, I, you know, I, I don't like people yelling at me like Debbie Allen from Fame either. <laughs> that, that, you know, that wouldn't work. But I love growing food. I absolutely love growing food and feeding people and introducing them to new stuff. And that is a passion of mine. Mm. So, I mean, realistically, I don't know how long it would have taken me to find this path. But growing food, growing herbs, um, healing, perhaps midwifery, those things. So within the next couple of years, are you going to just like disappear and pop up on some farm in Georgia? Oh, well, we'll see what happens. You know, I have a blog about herbs um, already. I haven't kept it up in a while because writing took back over. Mm-hmm. But I have an herbal blog and I talk about farming and I was a farmer's market manager in New York um, for a season. I managed two farmer's markets mm-hmm. and every summer I usually go and farm. <laughs> well, why don't you tell our listeners that blog so they can check it out? What is it? Um, it's the sage honey. If you go on if you go into Google and you type in the sage honey and then you type in my last name, T-A-L-L-I-E, that will come up. Right. So, yeah, I, I think that would have. And, and I, since I do that anyway, you know, that's that's always there. That's always there. But again, I don't know how long it would have taken me to find that path, right? This old city girl <laughs> who, you know, how, my gosh. But that, I think that would be it because I love the earth and it's it's the most centering, grounding, loving, nurturing space. That makes sense to me. I could see you in a big sun hat and overalls farming. Yep. Well, go to my blog. You will literally see those kind of things. <laughs> So, Mariah Dessa, thank you so much for taking time out of your day to spend with us and for sharing your work. Thank you so much for having me. It has been a privilege, and it's it has been fun. But yeah, you 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 be working poets, girl. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, you know, I don't think that people should just come on and um, you know fluff their feathers a little and read their words. Like, no, I'm gonna put you through the ringer. Like, <laughs> I know. What what do you think? What made you do this? Like, God, I don't know, Jen. I don't know. <laughs> Give me a drink. No. <laughs> Oh, you're killing me. So this is Jen Fitzgerald with New Books and Poetry, reminding you to support all the arts, but especially poetry. 